You are listening to the Pursuit Church Essay Podcast. We are a group of imperfect, real people on a mission to pursue God and love people. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. Tithing was, with the, the, the principle behind it, I was just, okay, every once in a while, just you know, what I got in my pocket, I'll throw it in there. I was a baby. I didn't understand. See, I needed instruction. I wasn't being a hypocrite. I wasn't saying, okay, well, everyone should give money to the church, but not me. So, I mean, that, that would be kind of more hypocritical had I known better, right? Had I known better, that would have been hypocritical. But really, I didn't understand yet, right? So, instruction is important for that kind of that middle group. But here's what we're going to talk for the rest of the time about, and that is the believer, the Christian, who says, I know Jesus, I have a pretty good understanding of what it says I should be doing to follow him, to love him, and despite that knowledge, then does not. That, my friend, really is what a hypocrite is. By, by the definition of the word, we know better, We've gotten instruction, we have a, you know, a, a decent understanding of what we're talking about here, and then for a number of, whatever the reason may be, we decide to act in a different way. Oh, the room's getting really quiet now. Okay. I can tell you this. By definition, everyone in this room is a hypocrite. Because none of us is fully living every single part of the gospel that Jesus has asked us to live. I'm a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. Okay? Now, we've got to be okay with that for a minute. Okay? But the first step toward anything is recognition. Right? We have to, we have to understand where we're... And we're going to talk more about that, that in a minute. But we're also going to talk about how we help or how we deal with each other as hypocrites. <laughs> That's really what we're going to be talking about for the rest of today. Now, understand, Christians, we know we're not perfect. That's the reason we need a Savior, right? There's only one unhypocritical person that's ever walked the earth, and his name is Jesus, right? Only one, only one. So all the rest of us, we have work to do. See, we make mistakes, so we understand that repentance is the key to battling hypocrisy. Repentance is the key to battling hypocrisy, okay? That's why Jesus over and over and over and over again talked about repentance. So important. Again, that's a word you don't hear a lot in church anymore. Come on. This is what Peter said in 1 Peter 2.16. He said, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. In other words, he was saying... You can't use the grace of God as some kind of get-out-of-jail-free card. Hello? The grace of God is not... Paul put it another way when asked, well, if the grace is so great and just keeps giving, then I can just keep sinning. And Paul said, God forbid. Paul was abhorred at that thought. It's like, oh, yeah, I got grace, so I can just kind of keep doing whatever I want. No, Paul was really clear. He said, no. That's, then you don't really understand the concept of grace. That's what he was trying to tell us. Let me, you know, let me help you understand more. And then Paul went on to, to say it. You, you want to live a different way because of the grace 
that God has given you. Not as a get-out-of-jail-free card. And we got a lot of us using grace as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Come on. But that's what can happen. You know, when we start down that path, we can slip into a spirit of hypocrisy. And this is what it looks like sometimes. We'll start by saying, well, what I do is nobody's business. Hey, man, what I do is nobody's business. God forgives me. I'm good. What's wrong with you? Hey, we start down that attitude. We're, start, we're starting down a spirit of hypocrisy. And the next thing you know, we're living a life of sin. We're living uh, just however we want and using the grace card to justify it. We're saying, okay, well, I got grace. I can just do whatever. Now, there, there, remember, there is forgiveness. There is repentance. So there, there's a process that, that Jesus gave us for this, okay? But that's the process. Not just, yeah, I'm good. You see, a hypocrite can be that person who has also, who has stuff. You know, the big house, the fancy car, the, the stuff. And yet, the stuff has their heart. And they're not generous. God calls us to be generous. You see, they have no sense of responsibility about using the blessings that God has given them to bless others. Because that's what the point of your blessings is. It's actually you're a river. These things are supposed to be flowing through you. We're not a dam to hold them all in. Come on. God clearly expects us to use blessings that he's given us to sow, first of all, into the church. Because we've said this before and we'll say it again. The church is the very best vehicle. It's the very, not the only, but it is the very best. It is the only God-ordained vehicle for blessings to come in and then those blessings to go out. And many of those blessings are tangible. They're money. They're feeding the poor. They're the food pantry that we do here every third Saturday. That's what it looks like to have blessings flow in and blessings flow out. The church is the God-ordained way to do that. Nothing against the other nonprofits. There's tons that do beautiful, wonderful work. In fact, you know, we partner with Daily Bread Ministries, who we get the food from for the food. That's a beautiful organization. They're not the church. Now, they support the church, okay, the church is the very best vehicle. We've said it before, we'll say it again. But the thing is that people don't pour blessings into God's church through tithing is, is God's vehicle. And, and your talent, by the way, your, your serve, how you serve, that's how blessings flow in. Those blessings aren't flowing in, we have nothing to flow out. Okay? So, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. What do we do with people who genuinely have been changed by Jesus, yet they continue to willfully disobey God. What do we do? What do we do with a hypocrite? That's what it is. So here's the deal. Is it really, first of all, is it really any of our business? That's a good question to start with. Is, is there hypocrisy really any of my business, right? A lot of people have that attitude. Ain't my deal. Should we be then just non-confrontational and just Pray for them? Sometimes. Sometimes, maybe. Or do we go to the other extreme? Well, I'm just going to be up in their business, man. I'm going to find them. I'm going to tell them what they're doing is wrong. I'm just, I'm just going to confront them. Just Okay, well, maybe that's the other end 
of how to deal with a hypocrite. Here's the thing. We have to get this right. The way we respond, the way we react, the way we handle a hypocrite, we got to get it right. We got to get it right. It's important we get it right because if we get it wrong, number one, we can push people away from, from Jesus. And that's definitely not what we want. And we can be a bad witness to somebody else about how not to do it. That's why the church gets so much criticism to begin with. And that's why there's an attitude that says, oh, that church is just full of hypocrites. Because somewhere they've seen something about how it wasn't handled right. So you see, getting it right is important. Getting it right is important. Now, this is why we have to know how do we biblically handle hypocrites? How do we biblically do it? Well, here's what at the bottom underneath everything is this. The point of confronting and how we have to confront is to have a heart to restore them. That needs to be our motivation. That needs to be our motivation. A heart of restoration. That's the reason we're going to confront a hypocrite. And that's the only reason, by the way. There is no other really good, valid reason to confront a hypocrite other than that. Other than that. So we want to have a heart to restore. This is what Galatians 6.1 says. Dear brothers, if a Christian is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help him back onto the right path. Remembering, oh, this is the fun part. Remembering that next time, you might be the one who is in the wrong. That make a little difference when you go to confront somebody if you remember that last part? What does it mean to restore? Last week, Karen did such a beautiful job of helping us remember what restoration looks like. Restoration is bringing back someone to God's original purpose or plan for them. That's what restoration looks like. Now, remember the verse we just read says to do it how? Gently and humbly, right? A hypocrite, you see, is just someone that has wandered away. And our job is really to, if we're going to confront them, is to help guide them back to the truth. Now, here's the key. We're not the judge. We're just the guide. We are not the judge. We are just the the God. You know, Jesus himself said this. I was, you know, didn't put this up on the screen, but Jesus said, I actually have not, when he was on the earth, he said, I have not come to judge. I have come to save people. But then he reminded us there is a judge, right? And it, on the last day at the end, there will be a judge. But Jesus came, his job, his purpose on earth was not to judge. His purpose on earth was to save us to restore us. That's what Jesus came to do. We want to live like our Savior, don't we? That's what we're supposed to do if we're going to confront hypocrites with a spirit of restoration. Our job is to gently guide them back and show them a better way of life, the way to freedom, and the truth of what God says about their situation and about who they are. 
That is what we're doing. We're guides. We're guides. In other words, our goal is not for us to be right, but it's for them to be right with God. That's the reason we're trying to restore them to that relationship with God. It's not to prove ourselves right. Let me, let me show you why what you're doing makes me right. No, uh-uh. The goal is to get them right with God. And that's why we're the guide. We're not the judge. We're just helping them back because one day we might need someone to help us back. Come on. One day somebody might need to pull me to, to the Bob. Man, you're off base here, dude. Come on, Jesus has more for you than that. God believes in you more than that. God has a plan for you more than that. They're not telling me that they're right. They're trying to guide me. Hey, come on. That's good preaching there. Come on now. That is the goal. Let's get back to that God-designed, desired life that he has for us. That's the reason. So we gently restore you know, I mentioned Jesus a minute ago in, in, in his example. And here's, here's one example that probably we're all familiar, or if you aren't, let me just, you know, share with you. But many of you are familiar with this story. It's, it's the woman that was caught in adultery, right? Probably everybody or many people know that story. So here's a woman who was caught in adultery, and the angry mob basically brings this woman before Jesus. By the way, where was the guy? But, you know, well, that's a different sermon, different time, whatever. Uh, so they bring this woman before Jesus, right? And the law back then said, if you were caught in adultery, you were going to be stoned. You are going to be killed. It was very straightforward. That's, that's what the law said, okay? So here's an example of Jesus being confronted with a situation and Jesus did two things here that we, that we need to remember when we're dealing with hypocrites, when we're dealing with people. Jesus exhibited two things that we also need to exhibit. He exhibited grace and truth. Both things are important. But let me show you what he did. So at first, Jesus had the woman come before him, and Jesus did something kind of unusual, he started, he bent down and just started writing stuff in the sand. I mean, here, this crowd of people is just waiting. What's Jesus going to say? What's he going to do? Come on now. He's claiming he's the Messiah. He's claiming he's the Son of God. So he should know the law. He should know what this means. But Jesus didn't say anything at first. He just he started writing in the ground. Oh, okay. Really wasn't even looking. The scripture says he wasn't even looking at the crowd. He, was, he literally, his eyes were just right on the ground, just drawing. A lot of speculation about what he was drawing. A lot of people, scholars, believe he was actually writing down the sins of all the people that were accusing this woman. I don't know if he was or not, but it would probably make a lot of sense if he was. Um, but after a while, Jesus finally looked up, and he turned to the woman. He didn't even look at the crowd. He just looked at the woman. He said, where are all of your accusers? And the woman simply said, they're gone. He left. Just one, scripture says one by one, they dropped their, they had stones in their hands, by the way. Okay, so, so the crowd, people in the crowd had stones in their hands, ready to throw. At, 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 at the command of Jesus, they were ready to throw. They dropped their stones one by one, walked away, one by one, one by one. 
And then Jesus simply said to her, well, I don't see any accusers here, so I'm not going to accuse you either. That's the grace element. What grace? What grace? Something that deserved death. And Jesus just said, I'm not going to accuse you either. Man, our sins call for death. Do you know that? Sin without Jesus would, would call for your death. Maybe not physically, but spiritually. Jesus gives us grace, just like he did with this woman. But here's the end of the story. Then the last thing that Jesus says to her, though, is, okay, I'm not holding this against you, but don't do it anymore. That's the truth part. You see the grace and the truth. Jesus never said, it's okay to just keep sinning, 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 sinning because I've given you this grace. No, what he said was, take up your cross, follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Jesus said. So when we go to confront hypocrites, we better have both of those things going on. We just want to come in with the truth. Well, God's word says this, and you better stop doing that. How far do you think that's going to get you with somebody? Would you listen to somebody if that's the only approach they came to you with? I probably wouldn't. I might need to, you know. I might need to, but I probably wouldn't be very inclined to do it. Now, if someone comes and says, Bob, you know, God has so much more for you, man. Come on. He loves you. He's, you know, he wants you. He's chasing after you. Come on, man. Come on. Let me, let me, uh, let me guide you back to the, to, to the place he wants you to be. I'm going to be a lot more responsive to that. I'm going to be a lot more responsive to that. The other thing that Galatians tells us is that we need to confront carefully, right? If we go back to that scripture in 6.1, it says, you who are godly should gently and humbly, gently and humbly help him back on the right path. So we need to be really, really careful because the moment we put ourselves in the posture of bringing correction to someone, we're more vulnerable for what? Pride. Pride is a killer, my friends. Pride comes before what? A fall. Pride comes before a fall. In fact, this is what 1 Corinthians said, 10 and 12. It says, Paul said, if you think you're standing firm, in other words, you think you got this, right? Be careful that you don't fall. Be careful that you don't fall. And when we've decided to confront somebody, we need to be spirit-led, and we need to do it very carefully. Because, again, most of the time, we're vulnerable to do the very same thing that we are calling out in someone else. Okay? We are, man, I'm about you. The things that tick me off the most are usually things that I have a problem with. Because I recognize it in somebody else, and I don't want to deal with it in me. Come on. I'm telling you. You know, in chapter 18 of Matthew, Jesus cautioned the people at the time when he was saying, you know, if you see your brother or sister sinning, be careful first to not be looking so much for the speck in their eye, but the log in your own. Jesus gave us some caution about that. But notice he, he said 
to your brothers and sisters. And again, this is consistent with what we talked about in the beginning. Hypocrisy that we're talking about really is, is here. It's, it's within the body of Christ, okay? Because let's be honest, we really shouldn't, if someone walks in our door that doesn't know anything about Jesus, we shouldn't expect them to have the same um, level of understanding or, or even know who Jesus is. So someone that walks in the door or someone that we meet out in the world that doesn't know anything about Jesus, we really can't be calling them a hypocrite because they actually don't really know any better. They, we, we can't hold a non-Christian to Christian standards, right? And a lot of times we want to do that. We, we, we say, well, how come they just don't get this? Or how come they just don't get that? Well, because they don't know Jesus yet, okay? Because here's the thing. Our role is to get out of the way of the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit teach them who Jesus is, okay? And then Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, can deal with their behavior, okay? We're not the behavior police, okay? We are not the behavior police. So we just need to listen. We need to listen. We need to listen to the Spirit before we go jump in somebody's Kool-Aid and try and correct them or call them a hypocrite. We need to do that. So if we're going to confront, though, what do we do? What, what does Scripture tell us to do? Well, this is kind of the pattern. It says, look, if you've got somebody, a brother or sister, right, just somebody in the church that you have an issue with, step one, you go to them privately. You. You don't talk about it with 15 people. You don't say, oh, do you see what so-and-so did? No. You got an issue with somebody, you go to them and say, hey, with gentleness, humbleness, right? Everything we've been talking about, hey, this is the, the thing that I have with you. This is how you've hurt me. This is what I, and it could just be to help correct them. Hey, man, I'm just seeing some things going on in your life that you want to talk about some things. However, whatever that looks like, but you go to them first. That's step one. Man, we got so many people in church that don't do that. What, what, what do they do? They go in a corner and they start talking about, hey, did you see, uh, see them? Or, or, or they go directly to the pastor or some other leader and say, hey, uh, you know, I know I'm not supposed to say anything, but let me tell you what I know about so-and-so. No, that's biblically wrong. That's biblically incorrect. Okay? Correct thing is you go to me and say, hey, this, this is what's going on. Now, next step, if they don't listen to you, they say, oh, Bob, you're, you're crazy, man. Just, Get out of my face, dude. All right. Okay. All right. Then what it says to do is, is now you might want to take somebody else with you this time, right? Again, someone that's trusted, someone that knows how to keep their mouth shut, somebody that's also going to approach this in a humble, gentle way, okay? So you got to be of, of a like mind there, right? But now it says you bring a couple other people and say, hey, man, what Bob said is... Really true, man. I mean, we're seeing the same thing. So the per now the person understands, or hopefully they understand. It's not just a you thing anymore. It's like, hey, there's other people that are kind of seeing the same thing, you know. Sometimes that will get people to listen a little bit more because now they're, they're saying, okay, well, it wasn't just him saying it. Now there's, gosh, a couple people that are really concerned about me. That's why that's step two, okay. Now, if step one or step two work, that's awesome. The Bible says you've restored a brother, and heaven is celebrating, okay? That's a win. 
That's a win. If someone says, hey, well, you, God, man, you're right. Yeah, I've just been really going through some stuff, or you hear them out, whatever's going on. But they come back. They come back. They come back. You're guiding them back. They come back. That's a win. That's a win for them. That's a win for their soul. That's a win for their spirit. That's a win for heaven. But there may be step three, which is, hey, gone to him one-on-one. You brought somebody else. They're really just not willing to listen or willing to, to make any changes coming back. Then at that point, the Bible says, then you can go to someone in church leadership because now they have oversight over that flock. Keep that in mind. That's, that's the concept. Now you might go to a church leader, maybe their executive pastor or, you know, the leader of their team and say, hey, this is kind of what I've done so far. I've talked to so-and-so about this, I've done, you know. And then that leader has to use wisdom and discernment at that point, right? Do they, do they call the person in now themselves and say, hey, you know, a couple of people I know have talked to you. What are you thinking, you know? Then kind of the final straw is if all of those three things happen, you've gone to them, still nothing. You've brought a couple people with you, still nothing. You've reported it to the appropriate person in leadership, still they are not changing. Then Jesus says you kind of have to recalibrate the relationship a little bit. Because now really, in other words, you can't make somebody do something that they don't want to do. And at the end, or that they're not willing to submit to do it. Bottom line, you can't do it. I can't do it. Nobody can do it. And there are some people, and Scripture is very clear, they'll have all the information and evidence in the world, and people will talk to them, and they're still going to reject Jesus. Guys, Jesus walked on the earth himself, and the majority of the people he talked to rejected him. The majority of the people on the planet that he interacted with, rejected him. If they are going to reject the king of the universe standing in front of them, what makes you think there aren't going to be people, even in his church, that are still going to reject him? For all their own issues, right? The Pharisees were rejecting him because they truly were hypocrites. They were so steeped in their own belief that they weren't willing to let their guard down for a minute and actually had the answer to all that they believed standing in front of them, but they still wouldn't listen. Okay, so that, that is going to happen. Now, when I say recalibrate the relationship, that doesn't mean that we close the door. It just means that we understand now, hey, I've tried these things, and I just need to have an understanding now that I'm, now I'm, I'm going to wait I'm going to keep praying for that person, I'm going to, but I'm, I'm going to keep the door open. And unfortunately, oftentimes, when someone gets to that last point, the door gets closed in their face. And when it gets closed, then it becomes more difficult for them, once they get a revelation, to come back, to want to walk back through the door, right? So we still need to leave it open. But we just need to kind of recalibrate our thinking for a minute. I mean, Jesus was a little more harsh, to, to be honest with you, <laughs> in Scripture. He said, when people get to that place, you actually just treat them like pagans again. I mean, his was, you know, his was pretty rough, right? You know, Jesus sent his disciples out to preach, by the way, and he said, hey, if a town doesn't receive you, shake the dust from your feet and keep going. 
I mean, at some point, Jesus already knows what, you know, way more than we do. And, and his word is very clear that there are going to be people that will not accept him. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they will follow me. And if they're not willing to listen to his voice, they're not going to follow him, right? So, but we have to be okay with that in the sense that we've done these other things, right? We don't go to step four. A lot of us want to go to step four right away. Well, they're just, you know, or, or, or the, you skip, you go to step one and you, and you jump all the way to four if they, don't, if they don't listen to you, right? All right, well, man, I tried. You do, step four, cancel. You're out. You didn't listen. You're done. No, we don't go from one to four. We go one, we go two. God's house is a house of what? Prayer and order. God's a God of order, okay? Just remember, whenever we're condemning someone else, it could be a reflection of what's going on in our own life. Let me tell you one, one more story uh, from, from the Bible that illustrates this really well. And that is our friend, King David. I, I love King David, man. You know why I love him so much? Because he is so jacked up. <laughs> and yet, God called him a man after my own heart. Why? Because David recognized ultimately when he was being a hypocrite. He recognized when he would screw up. Sometimes it took him a minute to get there, by the way. And I'm going to tell you a story about one time it took him a minute to get there. You see, David committed a very, um, a very serious sin at one point. He was supposed to be going off to battle with his troops, but he made a decision not to do that. Instead, he got up on a rooftop, and he looked down and saw this young lady, um, sunbathing, whatever you want to call it. And basically, he told one of his men, hey, go get that woman and bring her to me. Well, number one, this woman was married, right? Uh, but David didn't really care. He said, hey, bring her to me. So to compound his sin, then he went to sin number two, which was slept with her. As a result, she became pregnant. Once she was pregnant, then he went to the third sin. He had her husband killed. Basically put him at the front of the battle lines knowing that he would be killed. So he's kind of eliminating uh, another part of his problem to cover up his sin, by the way. That's really what he was doing here. And then, after all that's done, a man named Nathan came and had a conversation with David. Now, Nathan was a prophet, okay? And Nathan came to have this conversation, though. Nathan confronted, like I'm about, like we've been talking about. This is how Nathan confronted. He confronted not to condemn David but he confronted him to restore him. So watch what, Nathan, watch what Nathan did. Nathan told a story. He said, once upon a time, there was a rich man who had all sorts of livestock, sheep, and cattle. And then there was a very poor man who only had one little lamb. This lamb grew up with him, and his kids loved him. This lamb was part of their family. It was their family pet. And then one day, a traveler came along and was hungry. But instead of taking some livestock from his own pens, right? This rich man had lots of livestock, tons of it. Instead of taking one of his own animals and killing it and feeding it to this traveler, he took this guy's little lamb and killed it and gave it 
to the hungry traveler. So Nathan's telling this story to David. And David gets so upset. He is railing against, who is this guy? What, what do you mean he killed this lamb? What do you, how could somebody do that? David is just incensed. He's going, this dude needs to pay that guy four times the lamb is worth. He needs to be put to death. I mean, David is just going on and on and on about what this guy did. And then you know what Nathan said to David? It's you. It's you. You're the hypocrite. You're the one that said one thing, railed against it, and the very thing you're accusing this man of, you did. You see, Nathan's purpose, though, was not to condemn David to death or to some punishment as much as it was to point out to him his hypocrisy, so that David would learn. In so many other places in Scripture, David would later say, Lord, search me. Let me know if there's any impure thought in my mind, because David was impacted by confronting his own hypocrisy. And as he was confronted with his own hypocrisy, he began to truly recognize and realize that he had to be open to God's correction. He had to be open to God's correction. You know, Matthew 7, verse 3, talks about Jesus asking other people, why are you so worried about other people's issues when you have your own? (laughs) And you know, as people, and in the Bible, often we're referred to as sheep, I mentioned it a moment ago. You know, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They follow me. But you know, the thing about sheep is that they're kind of dumb and they tend to wander. Sheep, sheep are kind of dumb and they tend to wander. You and I are sometimes kind of dumb and we tend to wander. We do. Listen to me, just because a sheep wanders, though, doesn't mean it's bad. Just because a sheep wanders doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that that sheep's wandered off for a minute. You see, we're not the judge, we're the guide. So when we say, come here, little sheep, come back. Come back to the good shepherd who's going to lead us into good pastures. That's what we're doing when we're trying to restore the hypocrite. That's what we're doing. And so when our brother keeps sinning and he may keep sinning for a while, we don't write him off as bad. We recognize that he's simply a sheep straying from the flock. So we want to do everything, man, that we can to restore those little sheep. James 5.19 said this, My brothers and sisters, if any of you wander from the truth and someone turns back the wanderer, recognize that whoever brings a sinner back from the wrong path will save them from death and will bring about the forgiveness of many sins. He said, if any of the wanderer people wander from the truth and someone brings them back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from his errors of their ways will save them from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And that's why we got to get this right. If we're going to confront hypocrites, we're going to restore them. If we're going to guide them, 
We must let the grace of Jesus cover a multitude of their sins. Because guess what? One day we might need someone to come get us after we've wandered away. I want to share one more thing that as I was reading was, was in my notes. And I want to just show you the heart that Jesus has for the hypocrite. I want you to go read this week Matthew chapter 23. It's a hard chapter to read because Jesus is railing against the Pharisees. I'm the, trust me, man. You read Matthew chapter 23, you're going to see Jesus all up in their business. But I want to show you how chapter 23 ends. Verse 37, this is right at the end. After all of that railing, after all of that, Jesus basically calling the Pharisees out. And the reason he was calling them out was not to condemn them. He wanted to restore them. And this is what he said in verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wing. That's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to gather you. He wants to gather the hypocrite back. He loved the Pharisees. Despite what you read in Matthew 23, he actually loved them because they were actually part of the house of Israel. Jesus his father had dealt with Israel for thousands of years. These were people that he loved. But he couldn't let them keep going down a path that he knew was not good for them. And so he confronted them. He confronted them out of love. He was the hen. He wanted to draw them in. That's, that's what he wanted to do. With every eye closed, let me, let me, let me pray for us. Oh, Father, as we come before you right now, Father, we ask that when it comes to dealing and handling the hypocrites in our life, that you help us get this right. Father, I know that even right now there are those who know someone or maybe serve on a team with someone or, or have hypocrites that they come across every day. And dear God, give us wisdom to honor you in the way that we love people back to restoration like you restore us. God, give us the heart to be a guide and not the judge. And God, I pray that you empower us to love people with grace and with truth. Help us handle this with integrity, Father, being whole, being led by your Holy Spirit, not being double-minded as your word says. Father, give us eyes to see our own sinfulness, our own hypocrisy, and give us a heart to repent when we recognize it, just like David did. In Jesus' name. And now, every head bowed and every eye still closed, let me ask you today there may be someone here that's apart from God that needs his forgiveness, that really isn't in his sheep pen yet that hasn't allowed Jesus to gather you as a chick 
as he would like to. You need his grace. You need his mercy. And you need to turn from your sins and turn and let the good shepherd guide you today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now? Every eye closed, every head bows. If that's you, raise your hand. Yes, so good. And will everyone just pray this with me then in support of anyone here today that's in that place. Dear God, thank you for your faithful love, your compassion, and your mercy. Forgive me, God, of my sins. I believe that Jesus died for my sin and then rose from the dead. Today, God, I give you my heart and ask you to be the Lord of my life. Make my spirit strong and ready to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. If God is transforming your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give at PursuitChurchSA.com give. Thank you for listening and remember to follow us to enjoy more messages like this.